We are going to be in Romans 12 again, so turn there in your scriptures. Uh, while you're doing that, I'm just, I brought this uh, thermometer from home, and I just, you know, sometimes it can get a little warm, sometimes a little cool, and uh, thought I could use this to kind of regulate the temperature, keep an eye on things, depending on which of these is, uh, you know, floating, it lets us know the temperature. So I'll just keep an eye on things, I'll put it here for the, for the time being, and uh, got to make sure it's centered, it'll bug some people. Okay. We got that. <laughs> Last week, we started this new series, Living the Christian Life Together. We're going to be going through Romans 12, taking our time going through this, and especially looking at aspects in which this talks about uh, us as Christians, going through life together, being a part of each other's lives. What is God actually calling us to do? that Christianity isn't just a uh, private religion, just you and God, but we're connected to each other, and that's how it's meant to be. Last week, we looked at uh, the call for us to be a type of sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God, that we're giving our, our whole lives, our whole being to Him to use as He sees fit, that this is the, the sacrifice that He uh, desires and that pleases Him. And today, we're going to specifically look at Romans 12, verse 2, but let's, uh, let's read verse 1 and 2 again. So I hope you have your scriptures uh, open in front of you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord, and this is what we are going to be looking at today. And really, this uh, verse divides itself into to two nice points. There are two commands here. One is a negative, saying what not to do. And the other is a positive statement, saying what we need to be doing and so our first point, we're going to focus on uh, the, that we are to not be conformed. To not be conformed, and we will summarize it by saying, stop letting yourself be molded to the mindset of this present fallen world. So let's talk about this a little bit. When it uses the word conformed, I think it's helpful to think about it this way, being, being pressed into a mold, having pressure applied that, that causes you to take the shape of uh, what, is, what is shaping you. We can think of times when uh, we, we were kids and you, maybe you played with Play-Doh or maybe your, your kids or grandkids play with that and there's different Play-Doh presses where you put this glob in there and you push the crank and it comes out in a, a certain uh, shape like a star or you put it in these different molds where you pack it in there and it, you pull it out and it's taken whatever shape this is. So, Scripture is telling us that there is a, uh, a natural tendency, this is what happens, for us to be uh, pushed into the mold, pushed to take the form that this world has for us. And when it talks about the, the world here, what it means is this, this present evil age. The word here for, for world is actually a word that literally means age. And so it, it's not talking about the physical planet that we live in. 
And uh, we recognize that God is the creator. He created this, the physical world that was good, uh, but it is now fallen. Ever since Adam and Eve rebelled, we live in a fallen world, and things are different. Things are, are corrupted now. And during this age, we live in this, this middle age that it's no longer the pristine age when God created everything and everything was good and perfect and the way it, it ought to be. And we also no longer live in the age that, that will be when Jesus returns and when Jesus sets everything right, when he defeats uh, evil, when he uh, establishes his, his kingdom in this world. And, uh, but we live in this middle time where there's so much corruption. And so when Scripture talks about this, or uh, sometimes also uses the word cosmos, meaning world, it's talking about this present evil system that we live in in this age. One commentator said, this, it's the sin-dominated, death-producing realm in which all people that are included in Adam's fall naturally belong. So we live in this, this corrupt world, and there's so much... Uh, dysfunction. There's so much sin. There's so much that is, is just uh, in, in the air that we just pick up. And we're going to talk about in a little bit what are some of the sources, what are some of the ways that we, that we get influenced by the world. But it's the whole way of thinking that's in the world, that for our neighbors, that for um, people that you see on the internet, people that are political rulers, they bought into certain worldviews, certain things, that their desires, their loves, their, their presuppositions are, don't match God's. They have a, a different way of thinking that is, that is not godly, but, but is, is worldly. And how easy it is for us to be, to be pressed into that mold. Where instead of thinking and acting and living and, and loving and desiring the way that God wants us to, we start to think the way that our surrounding culture does on so many different things. We may think that we're not being influenced, but we always are. That's why Paul is telling us that we need to, to resist this. And how easily and how subtly this can happen. An example of this, uh, Augustine who wrote it towards the end of the, the Roman Empire, back in those days. He tells about a close friend in his book, The Confessions. His close friend, Eliphius, who, against his better judgment, went to the, to the, the circus. And we think, well, the circus? Well, that's funny, you have clowns. No, the Roman circus was the gladiatorial games where you would go into a, a coliseum or the coliseum and you would uh, see men brutally fight each other with the point of one person killing the other person, shedding blood uh, and, and killing another person for the, the mob, the, the crowd to enjoy this and to relish in this uh, gruesome bloodshed. And Olympias, uh, although he supposedly detested violence and didn't want to do this, uh, he was pressured into going. It reads, For although he had been utterly opposed to such spectacles and detested them, one day he met by chance the company of his acquaintances and fellow students returning from dinner, and with a friendly violence they drew him, resisting and objecting vehemently into the amphitheater on a day of those cruel and murderous shows. He protested to them, saying, Though you drag my body to that place and set me down there, 
You cannot force me to give my mind or lend my eyes to those shows. Thus I will be absent while present, so to overcome both you and them. So had these friends, these fellow students, they're going to the gladiatorial games and so with a friendly violence. So they, they pressured him into going to this. And he says, I'll go along uh, but reluctantly and I'll show them. I'll be there, but I'm going to keep my eyes closed. I'm not going to look and I'm not, going to, I'm not going to see what's going on. And he did this for a while. They took him in basically maybe to see if he could really do what he said. But then Augustine writes, when they got to the arena and had taken what seats they could get, the whole place became a tumult of inhuman frenzy. But Olypius kept his eyes closed and forbade his mind to roam abroad after such wickedness. Would that he had shut his ears also, because he could still hear what was going on. For when one of the combatants fell in the fight, a mighty cry from the whole audience stirred him so strongly that overcome by curiosity and still prepared, as he thought, to despise and rise superior to it no matter what, he opened his eyes and was struck with a deeper wound in his soul than the victim whom he desired to see had been wounded in his body. Thus he felt more miserable than the one whose fall has raised the mighty clamor which had entered through his ears and unlocked his eyes to make way for the wounding and beating down of his soul, which was more audacious than truly valiant. He goes on and says, For as soon as he saw the blood, he drank in with a savage temper, and he did not turn away, but fixed his eyes on the bloody pastime, unwittingly drinking in the madness, delighting with the wicked contest, and drunk with bloodlust. He was now no longer the same man who came in, but was one of the mob he came into, a true companion of those who had brought him. He looked, he shouted, he was excited, and he took away with him the madness that would stimulate him to come again. And not only with those who first enticed him to come, but even without them, and indeed dragging in others besides. I mean, that's an account from, from years gone by at the end of the, the Roman Empire. When we see how often things like this play out in our lives. And it, same story, just change the details a little bit. When you're dragged along with it, but the, the friendly violence of those around us, the, the pressure of the crowd to go along with something. And we like to tell ourselves, we'll, we'll keep our eyes closed. Uh, we'll, we'll resist this. We won't be changed. But how often it is that, that we're pressed into something. And we become changed. That people get molded into the view, this mindset, the loves that the world has. How is it that, that we are conformed? Uh, I set out to kind of brainstorm some of these things, some of these pressures, so we can be aware of them. And I realized I came up with such a long list, there's no way we can talk about all these in detail, but I'll go through these uh, kind of uh, briefly a little bit so we realize this. Because there can be different pressures, some that be obvious and some may be very subtle. Uh, sometimes there's actual violence that is used against us uh, to, to force us to, uh, to, to go along with a certain regime. Uh, there are countries in this world where Christians are, are persecuted 
And sometimes Christians fight the good fight and resist, and sometimes they are changed because of that. There is shame that is used. Right now we see that a lot in, in our society. Not a lot of physical violence left, but you will be shamed if you hold a certain outdated views that uh, you are now with, with, with the times. You are supposedly not going to be on the, on the right side of history. There's threats. There's bullying. People that will use uh, different tactics to, to coerce you to go along with their ways, to think the way that they think. There can be the coercive power of the, of the state, of the government. There can be fines, certain taxes, penalties. You can lose your license. A business can be shut down. And it doesn't take long looking at the news to see some of these examples. And people that want to uh, run a business in a certain way. Supreme Court, uh, court cases uh, that we're waiting for the reviews of these right now, what is, is going to happen? That if you are a, a Christian a baker or photographer, um, you know, so far, many fines being given that if you will not participate in a marriage that would go against your deeply held religious beliefs at a fundamental level, and yet businesses are being shut down, people fined for, for hundreds of thousands of dollars because of some of these things. And some people that are more than willing to use the, the power of the state to coerce those of us that are on the wrong side of things, supposedly. People can lose their jobs, have jail time. And there can also be just kind of slow pressure. You know, sometimes it isn't the all once fast, but it's kind of the slow pressure, and, and we, we gently just kind of give in, give in, give in. Slow compromises at times. Sometimes things that, that seem like a small compromise but that, that set the course for, for much more. I don't know if how many of you uh, watch Star Trek The Next Generation, but there's an episode. This is a profound episode. Uh, but if you remember this, you, I, you don't have to know the series, but uh, Captain Picard is captured. Okay, I'm seeing some people nod, and they're like, yeah, go with this. Okay, he's captured, and he's being held by these aliens that are, that are evil. And they are torturing him. They are trying to, uh, it's the Cardassians, and they're trying to uh, brainwash him and get him to uh, submit to their ways. And there's, it's the four light episode. There's these four lights. And they tell him that they will stop torturing him if all he has to do is say that there are five lights. But he can clearly see there are four lights. And he won't say that there are five lights because he knows it's just not true. There are four lights, not five. And they want to control him, and they want him to say there are five lights. And at the end, they say you are, they tell him his ship has been blown up, and he can live a life of relative ease. He'll still be in prison if he'll just say that there are five lights. And he's very tempted to do this. But there are four lights, and that's just the reality of it. But it just makes me think of so many things that are going on in our society today. Things where we can clearly see this... There are four lights, but society wants us to say, no, there are five lights. And if you don't say there are five lights, you will lose your job. You will be uh, condemned. You will be evil if you do not go along with this. I mean, an obvious reference to, to some of this um, would be issues with uh, uh, sexuality and transgender. You saw that Bradley Manning, who, who committed treason, is now running for uh, Senate in New Jersey as, as Chelsea Manning. And if you watch the news, they'll always refer to, uh, to Manning as, as she 
because uh, Manning has decided that he identifies as a, as a woman. And the, so many, most of the media is willing to say, yeah, there, there are five lights. When in reality, DNA, anatomy would say, no, th there are four. And that's just one example, but there's so many things. Uh, that's actually taken from the novel 1984. And in there, they try to brainwash the character. And part of it, they try to coerce them to say that two plus two equals five. Because if they can get you to make the small compromises, well, now the door's open. You may think this is meaningless, but it's, it opens the door to other things that they, to control us and change the way that we think. So modern thought police, propaganda, just uh, being worried about outrage. Um, but so much of it, the, the con being conformed, is maybe things that we've already taken in. Wrong presuppositions, wrong worldviews, misinformation. People use emotional manipulation. And some of it is intentional, but some of it is simply just the ambient atmosphere of the world around us. That slowly we become the temperature that is the same temperature as the room. You could bring in a, a cold can of pop and put it in here, and eventually it's going to become room temperature. We become the same temperature as the air around us, as the world around us. We, we absorb surroundings of the world we are immersed in. And what is the world that, that we are immersed in? I read a story about uh, an author talking about a time that as kids, they were playing some mud football. I know if, you, if you've ever played mud football as a kid, that's fun. You find a muddy field and you just play and uh, you're just a horrible mess. But uh, they found there was after this a, a huge downpour and he and his neighbor buddies, they found a gully filled with about two inches of standing water, just nice and, and muddy. And they go out there to play football and they said, every tackle, this is great. You would just slide. You'd be going through this stuff, you know, spraying. They thought, this is great. They know, yeah, we got mud on us. We'll have to clean up later. But uh, having a, just a great time. Uh, balls all, all slippery with just lots of fumbles and tackles and, and lots of fun. And uh, one of the friends kind of slid and uh, eventually looked at one of the friends and said, what's that in your shoulder? And they're kind of looking at this and trying to figure out kind of what was, what was stuck on his shoulder. And what they hadn't realized, there was a huge concrete sewer runoff drained right next to the gully. And whatever happened during the heavy rains, if something got blocked up, you know, from the nearby apartment complex, or if a pipe burst or something like that, but he looked at the thing on his shoulder, this is a wad of, uh, of toilet paper. And they started sniffing around and realizing, yeah, this doesn't smell right. And they realized they've been having fun, but they have been basically playing and, and splashing around, having a great old time in, in raw sewage. Isn't that what it's like, us in the world sometimes? That people are having a great time. They are loving it. They are having a good time and not realizing the whole time that they're just being immersed in, in, the, in the filth of this world. In what should be disgusting to them and what we should be running away from. And sometimes we don't even realize it. And sometimes even us as, as followers of Christ, we don't realize uh, sometimes the filth that we're around and filth that has a way of getting into our hearts and our lives. So we're called not to be conformed to this world, pressed into that mold. We're not, we're not called to be uh, you know, chameleons that become the same color as our surroundings. But instead, this verse goes on and says 
that instead we're supposed to, to be transformed. It says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me get into, before I get into the second point, I, I'll just check the temperature here and adjust it. It's feeling a little bit warm. Maybe I can, uh, it's kind of warm. I'll use, let me try and adjust it here. It's like whichever one floats. Okay, we'll see if that works. Maybe that'll, that'll help the situation. All right. So, but be transformed. Instead, let your mindset be continuously reprogrammed to match God's will. The word for transformed here is metamorphose. Does that remind you of anything? Metamorphose? That's the word that, that we use for when a caterpillar uh, goes into its chrysalis, comes out a butterfly. It, it is changed into something else. So God is saying that don't be conformed to this world. And said, you're called to be transformed into something else, into what God is making you into. And it is a, it is a radical transformation. Even our English word transform, it means to, to pass from one form in, into another. So to be, to be transformed. Uh, think of the transformers. Autobots, roll out. We're called to transform. And the word here, we'll do a little, I don't always do this, but a little bit of uh, grammar I think is helpful for this. The word transformed, it's, it is a uh, present passive imperative. You don't have to remember those details, but what this means, uh, different words, and this was written in, in Greek originally, it's in the present tense. It means this is a continuous action. This is not a just a once-and-done thing in your life. We're called to be continuously in this state of transformation. So when you became a Christian, uh, the transformation started. You're a new creature in Christ, but God is not done with you yet. You know, you, if it was real and you look, you would have noticed that there are some desires in your heart that have changed. Maybe before the things of God, Scripture, it was boring. Now you realize, this is interesting. I want to learn more about God. This is the, the ultimate reality for me. But there's probably some other desires and, and thoughts and different that they're, they're not changed yet. And God is in the process of working on those. So be transformed. It is a continuous thing that is going to continue our in, entire life. Passive in the sense that it says be transformed. It's not saying you transform. And what a relief it actually is. What if God was saying, I've made you transform. Do it now. Tran- transform. We can't do it, but this is saying that God is the one that does it. That it is, it is action that, that we take on, it, that it happens to us. The Holy Spirit is at work in us. The Holy Spirit is changing you from the inside out. As, as you read the Bible, as you pray, as you focus on Him as you worship, as you're in Christian fellowship with each other. It's an imperative. An imperative is a command. So it's not an optional thing saying, okay, you're, you're saved now, a living sacrifice, don't conform, but hey, it's optional if you should be you know, transformed into something else. You know, just, just stay where you are, it's okay. No, God is, 
is through Paul here, through this verse commanding us, we need to be transformed. Wherever we're at right now is not good enough in the sense that this is not the final product what God has in mind for what he wants you to be. He has more in store for you. He has more that he wants to change you into the image of Jesus Christ, to use you for his glory, more to change your heart so that you are you're thinking and living the right things, so you're bringing glory to him through your life. And that is the goal of this transformation, for you, believer, to be transformed not into the image of this world, but transformed to, to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.29 says, For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So this is something that's completed in the future, but it's in process now. And how do we do this? According to this verse, how is it that we are transformed and what this verse specifically says is it's by the renewal, the renewing of your mind. The renewal of your mind. So what, what's that? We need to think about this. And one of the implications that this has is that our minds need to be renewed. You know, sometimes we get arrogant. We think, well, whatever I think must be right. I am the measure and judge of all things. Uh, but what God's word says is that, no, our 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 way of thinking is a scrambled, corrupted mess. Since the fall, we come into this world corrupted. Let me just give you two passages that talk about this. Romans 1, 21-22. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Our thinking, that which we love, is darkened and corrupted. Claiming to be wise... They became fools. That's the effect of sin. In Ephesians 4, 17 through 18, Paul says to Christians, he says, Now I say, and now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understandings, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Think of it this way, the renewal of our mind is kind of like having to, to, to fix computer code. You know, it's like if you have your mind, it's a bunch of computer code, and I don't know how many of you have done this, but we all use computers, and it's all written with different code in the programming. You know, and if you get a, a line that is scrambled in there or is uh, some bad programming, it, it might not just mess up one little thing. It may corrupt the whole system. And it's like our minds being, being futile. There's so many things that, that we believe that are wrong, that we bought into things that the, the world, the age around us tells us it's true. And so, yeah, if you run the program here, you're going to come up with a wrong answer because we have all this wrong code in our head. So the renewal of our mind is working with God's Spirit to kind of to, to scan. Ever on your home computer had to do a, a scan where it's going and looking for corrupt sectors and that's what we need to continuously be doing, looking for parts of our thinking, uh, not just our thinking, but what do we desire, what do we love, what do we hold to be important, what is our, our, our assumptions. And when we find some that, that, oh, this is wrong, this doesn't match the, the, the manual for how it's originally supposed to be, the virus has corrupted it, we need to delete and, and change this to, uh, to what it ought to be. And this is the, the process. That's, that's why we need the Word of God. 
It's the manual that tells us what we ought to think. Because in our thinking, so many around us, we have a bad line of code that says this world we live in is just an accident. You're here, your life is, has no real meaning, except what you make of it, because you're an accident and nothing's been planned. You find out in Scripture, no, no, God is the creator of all this. He's planned this. He has a plan for you that he has from, from the beginning of time. You're not an accident. We have bad code in our system saying life is all about me. And you have that reinforced. Every time you go online, you're going to see something that reinforces that. Magazines, TV, life is all about you. Every commercial selling products by telling you that. And yet in Scripture, we find out, no, life is about God. It's about Jesus Christ and glorifying Him. So you've got to delete that code, replace it with what's right. I choose what is right and wrong. No, delete. God, God defines what is good. God loves me if, if I'm a good person. Well, no. God loves you while you were still a sinner. Christ died for you. Christ offers you that salvation while you're still a sinner. And you just have to receive it through, by trusting him. It's given by grace alone, received by faith alone. There's so many of these different things. And this is, you see the importance of God's word. The importance of prayer. Asking God to search us and to help us to replace wrong thinking. Even if we love some of those lines of code, it really, some of them really help us out with our desires. The importance of worship and Christian fellowship. Christian conversation. You know, when we talk about fellowship, not just getting together to, to talk about uh, things that we enjoy, what's, hey, you're the best place to go for ribs or something, and that can be a great thing to do, but also have conversations where we're talking about the Word of God. We're talking about things that are really important. We can help each other, scan each other, and find out, okay, what is right, what is right and what is wrong in our thinking so we can replace this and have our minds renewed. And the passage finishes and says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I think this is not a reference to God's secret sovereign plan. Okay, that if you do this, you're going to know, oh, this is God's secret plan. I think this is a reference to God's moral will. What God desires of you to do. What, what is right and wrong? And what, what is biblical wisdom? Even in some of those areas that the Bible doesn't straight out tell you, uh, you know, if you should take the job or not take the job. But you can use biblical principles to weigh all of the factors, what should be priorities to you, all these different things so you can make a, a God-honoring decision based on you, what God tells you is important and true, not what the world says, well, you should care about these ten things. God says, well, no, those really are not the most important things and some of them aren't important at all. God wants to apply this. God, to apply this as, as living sacrifices that are being renewed and our thinking is going to result in a change in the way that we do live. It's going to result in change in our lives, in our, in our hearts. You know, it's still a little bit warm in here. I, it seems like the uh, thermometer isn't quite working and doing its job. It actually is pretty warm. According to this, like 74? We're going to have to adjust this for next time. I, I'm sorry, I don't know why the thermometer isn't... Um, adjusting the temperature right, but oh, it's a thermometer. That's right, you don't use a thermometer.
use a thermostat. Well, okay, here we have one over here. Let's, uh, let's make my way over. Okay, we got the, we got the thermostat. And, um, okay, well, it's set. Um, let's, uh, 70? No, that's not good enough. Let's, uh, how cold do you want to be? Okay, we got the going. Okay, air conditioning's on. There we go. We'll do this. See, see how that kicks in? Of course, the reason I bring this up, the reason I do all this, is that just kind of a final point, I want you to think about this. You know what's the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? They're, they sound the same, therm, thermo something, right? But they do two different things. A thermometer, this isn't going to change anything. This adapts to the surroundings. This changes according to the, the ambient temperature of the air around it. Whereas a uh, thermostat you know, actually changes the temperature that is around us. And here's the thing. Uh, Christian, are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? In your relationships in your life, do you just change to whatever the ambient temperature is? Whether you're at, at church, whether you go to the workplace and you just change to what that is? That if you're around critical people, you become very critical too. If uh, we're adapting to certain things. If God is calling us to be transformed people, I think he's also calling us to be thermostats for those that are around us. And that's part of why Christian fellowship is important. Because we can be used to change the temperature in the room. And whether it is around non-Christians, helping to point them in a different direction, or even among Christians, that sometimes the temperature isn't quite right. Or you can be the kind of person that, that recognizes this. And you act as a thermostat to, to kind of go against everything else. This is a critical spirit. So instead, you're, you're going to focus on being realistic but, but positive about things. There's a spirit of judgmentalism. Say, no, we're going we're to change that. If you're around a group where there's just coarseness and it's okay to be speaking in a way that God would not be happy with, you wouldn't be saying the same things if God was here. That there were thermosets that we can change this. There's so many examples you could think of. Are you a thermometer or are you a thermostat? What controls your mindset? If it's the world... Then they can change it. Then you're a conformer, conforming to the, this world. If God controls your thinking, then you're a transformer. Last thought. Hear me on this. It is true. God loves you just the way you are. But He also loves you far too much to leave you the way that you are. The legalistic error says, you need to change first, then God will love you. And the, uh, the other error, the, the liberal error, says, well, God loves you no matter what, and so you don't need to change at all. The Christian gospel, instead, says that Jesus loves you and, and died for you while you were yet a sinner. And it also says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed. Let's pray.
Lord God, we thank you that you are a living and active God that is alive in our lives. Lord, I thank you for bringing us to you as a Savior, that we would trust upon you and uh, put, our, put our trust completely in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for anyone that um, has not understood that message yet, that is still clinging to their own righteousness, that they would accept your free gift, that Jesus, you died on the cross for them, that you loved them while they were still sinners, that they cannot add to salvation at all. It's something they freely accept. And Lord, we thank you that it is also true that you love us so much that you are at work in us, that you love us too much. Just leave us as we are and let us wallow in our sin and in our filth. But you want to change us into the image of Jesus Christ. So we ask that you would be at work, Lord. Lord, May you be at work as we're, we're in Scripture, as we're in Christian fellowship with one another, as, as we pray, as we contemplate you, Lord God. And may this all be for your glory, Lord. Let us not conform, but may you transform us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.